On this episode of the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, we're going on the Oregon Trail. But before we hitch up the wagon, let's check out the back of the game box. The Oregon Trail takes you back to when pioneers crossed America by covered wagon. MECC's Classic Frontier Simulation has now been updated and expanded. Thousands of schoolchildren have experienced the excitement of discovering what life was like for early American pioneer families. Now, children of all ages can also assume the role of trailblazers, but in the comfort of their own home. Youngsters learn about American history while also exercising their imagination and developing their problem-solving skills. They make critical decisions as they plan their cross-country treks and then embark on new adventures. What supplies should they take? Which paths should they follow? What time of year is best for starting the long, hard journey? And what do they do when food or ammunition starts to run low? Random events and many opportunities for choices make every journey unique. Colorful graphics add to the fun, making the Oregon Trail a memorable learning adventure for your children. Or in this case, us and our listeners, as we narrate our playthrough for you. Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. So welcome to Matt and I's full run of the Oregon Trail. And so this episode basically came to fruition from the edutainment episode. It was kind of a little small part of that episode where we were talking about educational shows, educational games, etc. We talked about Carmen Sandiego and Wishbone, and we just loved the actual playthrough of the Oregon Trail. And we always kind of wanted to go back and we might go back again. Who knows? It's just fun. It's exciting. It's entertaining. And so we decided, hey, let's make a whole episode just going on the Oregon Trail and let's do a playthrough and kind of narrate, discuss our decisions, things we went on. It's such a nostalgic game for everybody listening to the podcast here. This was an old Apple game that I would play at my grade school. And so I adored it and going back to it, it's just so fun. So I'd encourage you to do your own playthrough here, but we each like approached this a little bit differently in terms of how we made our party. And we're just basically going to do a narration of our playthroughs point by point, checkpoint by checkpoint, kind of letting you know what we did, what happened. And this is a lot of fun to, to actually write notes for, to do and record. And so I'm excited to get into that. Obviously, Matt, I know you have a certain segment you want to do to get us started. Before I jump into that, you know, I just have to say that this is another game that I do also adore. And like you said, the edutainment episode, it was really a collection of three very, very major educational bits of nostalgia from Carmen Sandiego to Wishbone to the Oregon Trail. And since that time, we've done a standalone Wishbone episode, and we thought it was time to bring out a standalone Oregon Trail episode. I'm pretty excited. Uh, and, and yes, our parties were formed somewhat differently with some different ideas behind that. Um, so we'll get into that shortly. As far as I'm aware, we both 
used the same version of this game, which is the 1990 version, but it was actually a direct copy of the 1985 Apple II version, which is definitely the same type of version that we remember from school. And so this is the most nostalgic version for me. There have been uh, countless other versions of the Oregon Trail. It actually goes back as far as 1974, which to me is just unbelievable. Since we were in this 1990s version, I, for our segment, back to the 1990s, did the entire year of 1990 instead of (laughs) a specific month. Typically, I pick a month, whatever the release was, This was kind of hard to pin down because it was just basically a copy of a prior version of the game. So all I'm certain about is that it's the 1990 version. So today on Back to the 1990s, we're going to look at the top movies, music, TV, video games, and for the first time ever, books of the year. And the whole purpose is just simply to situate ourselves into 1990 and imagine that we're back in those computer labs playing these games. Although I will admit, for both of us, it's a little early because we would have been about three years old at this point. So I'm probably in the computer lab, you know, maybe 1993 playing this thing, something like that. But still, let's go back to 1990. The top movies of the year... Ghost, Patrick Swayze, Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts, Uh, we've got Home Alone, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original film, the live-action film, and we also have The Hunt for Red October, starring my personal favorite, Sir Sean Connery. The top music of 1990, we have Hold On by Wilson Phillips, It Must Have Been Love by Roxette, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, Poison by Belbiv DeVoe, and Vogue by Madonna. Moving over to TV, Cheers, 60 Minutes, Roseanne, A Different World, and Murphy Brown. The video games here are pretty huge. Super Mario Bros. 3, Final Fight, and Paperboy. And then over to our book category. Now, typically, I don't do books, and that's because it can be really difficult to pin down specific releases in a month for books, uh, especially in some of these earlier years. But for the entire year, I was able to see some of the bestsellers. And so Jurassic Park was the top of the list here. Also, Good Omens, uh, a book that I greatly have enjoyed. We also have Oh, The Places You'll Go by uh, Dr. Seuss in this list. We've got The Eye of the World, which is the first Wheel of Time book, a very epic fantasy uh, series, which I have not read, but one of my uh, close friends has. It is a behemoth of a series. So some pretty good stuff here. Uh, Anything catch your eye here, Paul? I love that we have a 90s podcast, and I'm hearing this stuff, and I'm like, man, this is old. (laughs) I was like, the music... Didn't connect with me. None of that. Um, TV, same thing. The uh, video games, obviously timeless. And so Super Mario Brothers 3, by far my favorite Mario, at least at that time, um, in terms of like one, two versus three, three just stood out all the time. It was something I used to play at my aunt's house all the time. I loved doing it. 
Um, obviously, you know, the flute and whatnot and just an epic game in general. You know, I connected with some of this music, uh, particularly uh, the Roxette song, It Must Have Been Love, But It's Over Now, uh, and also Vogue, definitely. I mean, you know, a, a good part of the Madonna catalog there. And then the games, like you said, Super Mario Bros. 3, very, very iconic. Final Fight, I've got to say, is a, is a great beat-em-up, and I'm a huge fan of beat-em-ups. And uh, in Paperboy, I used to play that all the time. I had the uh, Sega Master System version of that, and uh, it was it was great. I, I loved it. Yeah, so some good stuff here. Uh, the movies in particular, I thought, though, like Home Alone, TMNT, Hunt for Red October, those are all big for me. So yeah, um, a good year all around. I guess we're ready now that we're situated into the year to go even further back to the time of the Oregon Trail. This is going to take us a little bit out of our comfort zone, out of the 1990s. Uh, So we're going to be back in the 1840s, 1848 to be precise. I wonder what some of the top uh, music was back then, some of the top books. Those are the only categories that could exist in in 1848. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Probably just the song Staying Alive um, by the Bee Gees. <laughs> yes, yes. Because that's all we're aiming for here. <laughs> that, that is our theme like for, the, for this playthrough. I mean, that's the whole goal, right? You want to get your party to Oregon with as few people dying as possible. And so, you know, we both went into this playthrough doing the hardest difficulty, which is a farmer from Illinois. Uh, whenever you're picking your difficulties... The, it's really kind of disguised the way that it works because you have three options, but you would think that you're choosing maybe characters with different attributes or something like that because there's like a banker from Boston, like a carpenter from Ohio, and then you have the farmer from Illinois, and it's actually difficulties. So it's like, it just really depends how much money you start with. So the banker starts with the most money. The farmer starts with the least. So the farmer is our hardest difficulty. And when you boot up this game, you also have to name your party. In my case, I named the leader after myself, Matt. And then I chose four different figures from stuff that we've covered on the podcast, different movies, shows, etc., did you have any guesses? So there are four slots to fill here. Who do you think I included on this epic journey to Oregon? This is a hard one, and I, I kind of knew you were going to do this. Right off the bat, I, I got to say Sardo's got to be on this. You're so close. So I, I picked Sardo in our original playthrough that we did. If you go back to the edutainment episode, we picked basically... Um, you know, like people that that were like our family members or that sort of thing. But then I put Sardo as my like fifth man, you know, and so, so it's gotta I be Dr. Vink Dr. Vink. Then. It is Dr. Vink, yes. <laughs> Dr. Vink with a v, v, v is in fact on my team here. That's interesting. I'm not I'm trying to think of other main characters that you may have picked. Well, I'll give you a hint. There I, I picked two men and two women. So you've got Dr. Vink. 
And so the other characters, uh, two of them are from film and one is from TV. I mean, TV and the podcast, I mean, Matt's biggest star is uh, Melissa Joan Hart in some capacity. Something like Sabrina or Clarissa. Is that is that which one? one? Which one is it? Uh, um, Sabrina. Yep, you got it. Sabrina Spellman is on my team. So we have Dr. Vink. That was a good one, man. Good guess there. We've got Dr. Vink and Sabrina Spellman. So those are my two TV personalities. So you need you need my two movie personalities here. And it's one man, one woman? That's right. Different films. Right off the bat, I'm thinking maybe Evie from Mummy. Like, it kind of sticks out of my mind. Is that a possibility? You're so close again. It's O'Connell. I, <laughs> I put Rick O'Connell on, on my team oh, here. Oh, man. I figured I needed like, you know, an adventurer here on this team. So yeah, you, that was, you were so close. You got the mummy definitely. And, and so there's one more person. So then scream, I would say scream Nev Campbell is probably the, the female. You're right. You got it, man. Yeah. <laughs> except, I mean, it's, it's Sydney Prescott, yes, but yeah, yes, you got, yeah that's, <laughs> that was remarkable. We, we didn't uh, discuss, I mean, I told you I was going to do this, but I gave you no other clues ahead of time. That was ridiculous. I mean, you got at least you got like at least the movie or shows correct, if not the characters. I'm impressed. Yeah, I literally so this- just I went through the podcast in my mind, all the episodes, and it just you know, and Sydney Prescott, obviously she's not even just Scream, she was also in our Are You Afraid of the Dark episode with Dr. Vink <laughs> right. with the with the with the soup. So that was like you know, those those really stood out. But yeah, I was just going through my head of all the episodes we would record, and I was like, that's gotta be it. I'm upset yeah. that I missed Vink right away because I forgot you had Sardo in the original. I probably would have guessed Vink, but I, I knew it was one of you know one of them. Yeah, I mean that was going to happen. So so just to recap, you know, myself, Dr. Vink, Sidney Prescott, Sabrina Spellman, and Rick O'Connell. So you took a whole different approach though. So how did you form your team? Yeah, so I this was kind of interesting. You know, at first, um, I, I kind of wanted to do like biographies of like the history of people that maybe went on the Oregon Trail itself. And so my wife actually had a website that basically had Pacific Northwestern like biographies of people. So I kind of went to that to kind of look and say, hey, you know, could I like use them in the story? And then I, it was actually their biographies of like, how they lived, how they died. And then it just kind of seemed bad to like use their name and whatever this was. I didn't want to like <laughs> right. solely someone's name or whatever. And so I was like, okay, I, I'm not going to do that, but I did want to have unique characters and kind of a story. So I kind of, I honestly went to a, like a dungeons and dragons type approach. And I don't know if you've ever played, but basically you have these like little minor biographies behind people to kind of like give them some kind of origin Oh, I've played. Now, have you, have you, did you roll for stats and everything too? Nothing that intense, but I definitely approached it from the sense of certain personality characteristics, certain skills and attributes and whatnot, just generally. And so, you know, I'll go through them now. And basically what I did is I just developed six characters, kind of who I wanted as part of the party. And then I rolled to see who would be joining the party. And so to add, you know, to, to get some context to the story here, my Oregon Trail journey is coming from the edutainment episode. So what happened there? Obviously, I'm part of this expedition. Paul is one of the, you know, he is the leader of this party here. Obviously, I have four of my fellow travelers. Now, for those that are familiar with the edutainment episode, I am a skilled carpenter from Ohio. 
And everyone survived in that journey. And so my legend grew. Everyone said, oh, this guy's the best Sherpa on the Oregon Trail you could possibly find. And obviously people were throwing money at me. Hey, you know, let's go on a journey. You lead us, we'll get there. And so it's imperative on me, not only for my legend, but for my finances and my living to make sure everyone here survives in this party. And so going through, obviously there are certain credentials that had to be met. I'm not going to bring on anybody with a debilitating disease or somebody that I knew would die because my, my mission is to continue my legend, continue my journey here. And so obviously only the best could survive. I interviewed with these people. I talked to them, tried to get to know them. They obviously could lie to me. They could obviously give me fiction. And so I'm not entirely sure if what they told me was true, but I did interview them. And so these are their stories. The number one on a dice was Father Duncan. He was a priest. He was sent to establish a church in the Pacific Northwest. He's young, idyllic, and naive of the dangers ahead. He believes he's on a greater calling, a greater mission. Most around him believe he simply just drew the short straw in going on this trail. His best skills are in his charisma and his youth. He lacks any other meaningful skills for the party. The number two on the dice was Martha. She recently lost all of her children to disease in an instant. Her husband, Arlo, has been gone for a while, going to the Pacific Northwest in order to gain riches for their family. With this news of the children dying, she's afraid to simply send a courier because she's afraid that Arlo simply will not respond or will leave her. And so she's going on this journey. She enters the party with a fractured mind, unable to offer words of solace to anyone, but she's skilled in leatherworking, having crafted clothing and footwear most of her life. She's also fearless, as members of the party believe that she may have a death wish due to the loss of her children. Number three is Abel. This is a young, romantic man living for nothing else other than obtaining the love of his life. Her hand in marriage, Isabella. But before he can have her hand in marriage, Isabel's father went and demands that he prove his worth. Abel now must travel west to secure his employment and housing in this new world. At that point, Abel will send proof and he will be allowed to marry his love. He's strong and adept in carpentry and he will be a great asset to the team. But he does have a temper, anger management issues, and he will stop at nothing to ensure his success, no matter the cost to the party. Number four is a man named Hilbert. He's an elderly man in his 70s. He had always promised his wife, Ruth, that she would see the West one day. She passed before their dream could come to fruition. He has vowed to take her ashes there before he passes. In another life, Hilbert had traveled these roads as a merchant before settling down. That's why he never wanted to go. He knows the dangers of the roads. He's very familiar with the routes, and he drafted maps as a cartographer. While he has skill and knowledge of these roads, he is a danger to the party because a reunion with Ruth would not be a failure in his eyes. Number five is a man named Smith. Now, I had found him on my return from the previous voyage. He was dying, and I saved his life rendering aid. Turns out he's a skilled marksman, and I've used him as my main man. He's there to protect me, protect my goods, protect enemies from outside. The party never knows his true purpose. He pretends to be this introverted, able-bodied tourist looking to purchase shipcraft along the coast. 
What I don't know is that he was a criminal at that time, left dead by the sheriff. And so while he has shown loyalty and skill to me in hunting, he might turn on us at any moment. And then number six was Ruby. She had fled from her local homestead due to rampant crime and a corrupt government. She lost everything in the raid but her life. She left a farm that has been with her family for ages. She is a skilled farmer. She possesses great skill in animal husbandry, and she'll be an expert with things like weather patterns and handling the oxen. However, she has one eye always back on her farm. She does not plan on starting a new life out west. She simply wants to retake her farm at the first opportunity available to her. So these were one through six that I had assigned and that I rolled the dice. And so obviously you have your leader and then four others. So two of these people are not going to be on the journey. And so the first member of the party was Hilbert. So Hilbert was the old man trying to bring his wife's ashes to the West. The second person was Smith, my secondhand man, the criminal who was going to protect me just in case one of these passengers went awry. The third was Ruby, the woman who had left her farmstead, but who wants to obtain it back from the corrupt government. And the fourth was Father Duncan the man trying to establish a church. So we have lost out on Martha. So her children who had passed from the diseases, she is not part of the party, nor is Abel, the young romantic. So those people were cut out. That's a motley crew that you got there. Uh, what did you feel about uh, that dice roll? I mean, you know, would you have picked those four or were you upset that you missed out on one of those two? Yeah, that was, that was hard. <laughs> it was very hard. Obviously, there were certain people that I, I had wanted in the party, maybe some that I didn't like as much. Uh, my wife had actually helped me kind of like flesh out some of these characters and I kind of expanded their story. But yeah, like Martha, I kind of wanted her in the party just because I wanted her to connect with her husband. So that, that story's kind of floating out there. Maybe there'll be a, another opportunity to go there. And then Abel, obviously, being you know in pursuit of his love, and I, I, I kind of felt for him too. But unfortunately... Can only bring four. These are the four that made it, and they got to pay up next time, I guess. You know, pay me more money <laughs> to join the party. <laughs> yeah, on our next playthrough. Yeah, then maybe they'll catch the next wagon. We'll see. Assuming that you survive this playthrough, I mean, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, th that is a story in of itself, and <laughs> I'm excited. But it's exciting that you know, it, it definitely changed the experience having characters that had a story, and even the characters that didn't make it. You know, being able to think about that, and so. You know, it definitely added a, it will add a touch to the story. So I'm excited to share my experience with you. So when you get started, the game actually gives you advice that if you leave too early, there won't be any grass for your oxen to eat. And if you leave too late, you may not get to Oregon before winter comes. If you leave at just the right time, there will be green grass and the weather will still be cool. So I chose to leave in the month of April, which I believe you also did. And you start off in Independence, Missouri with $400 uh, if you are the farmer. And that is not nearly enough money to buy what you need. Um, you know, you end up having to cut some corners. Uh, you go to the general store to stock up. I ended up purchasing basically... Uh, in some cases, like what was recommended with, you know, I got three yoke of oxen, which was recommended. Uh, I got 700 pounds of food, which was less than recommended. They, they recommended a thousand. Uh, I was kind of just hoping that I could hunt and that that would be enough or finding random food along the way. 
I ended up doing the recommended clothing, which was 10 sets, two for each person. I got five boxes of bullets, and then I got one spare part of each of the wagon parts. So there are three different wagon parts that you can get spares. So I got one of each. And then we left uh, Independence on April 1st of 1848. So how was your setup? Yeah, I picked April as well, just because it seemed like a, a reasonable month. And, you know, before I began this journey, you know, I had a lot of issues even assembling my party. There was this farmer from Illinois for my first expedition that spread some rumors that maybe I had an easy trek based on the direction I took. And so I had to like, you know, kind of bat off these rumors of this, this unnamed individual who uh, suggested maybe I had an easy trek. Do you have any idea who that individual might be, Matt? Well, I'm not sure who that could be. Um, Who would have an ax to grind from before? I don't know who who is this mystery man. You, you are you are. Wait a second, this is slanderous. Um, I mean, listen, it's true that in the last playthrough that you may have picked an easier difficulty level than I did, unaware that that was in fact what you were doing because it's not very clear. You know, I, I may have spread some. Just, I, I may have just spoken to a few people around Independence. I mean, you're getting ready to leave. Um, you're shooting the breeze with these guys. Uh, Might have mentioned a thing or two. I don't remember specifically saying that you had an easy time. I'm just saying you're going to be sued with a defamation claim pretty soon here because, you know, here here you are attributing my success in the first run with the difficulty level. Now, for those that don't remember in the edutainment episode, I inadvertently picked an easier difficulty and had everybody survive. This time I made sure that I indeed was on the farmer difficulty to prove all the haters wrong. And in terms of the initial purchases, I went with a, a more conservative approach because I did remember not needing bullets and food as much. So I bought 500 pounds of food at $100. I bought two of each equipment for a total of 60 bucks, three boxes of bullets, which I had actually said was about what you need for an entire run from the first playthrough. I'm, I'm very well prepared. And then I did buy five sets of clothing for $50, one for each person. Cause I did not understand why I would need more than one set of clothing for each person. All right. Well, it sounds like we're all ready to roll here. So, you know, your first uh, destination when you leave independence is to the Kansas river. Uh, It's not very far, so you can get there relatively quickly. The only thing that happened on the way to the Kansas River was immediately one of our wagon wheels broke. Uh, And so I had to use my uh, one wheel that I had spare to fix the wagon almost immediately out of the gate. At that point, I reached the Kansas River, and when you get to these different locations, you can talk to people, you can trade with people, you don't get to choose what you trade. It just offers you a trade, and if you don't like it, then you just wasted a day, because it burns an entire day. If you do pretty much any of these options, like it, it just takes up time. Like If you go hunting, it takes up time, it takes up a day. And so at the Kansas River, I did talk to somebody They said, I can't afford to take a ferry. We're making our wagon into a boat. We'll turn it over, caulk the bottom and sides with pitch, and use it to float our goods across. Have to swim the animals. Hope it doesn't rain. The river is high enough. So the whole thing with when you get to a river, you have to decide 
If you want to ford the river, which is just basically driving your wagon right across, or you can cock the wagon to make it float and sort of take it across almost like a boat of some sort. In some cases, there are ferries available, but you have to have money in order to purchase that. And I spent all my money is, you know, right in independence on all the supplies. I had no cash left. So what I learned is that basically you only want to ford the river if it's pretty low because you're going to be submerging your, your wagon. And so if it's more than like a couple feet, you probably want to try to float it instead. So I ended up caulking the wagon here. We floated right across the river. No problems. Pretty successful. Safe. Everyone got across. Didn't lose anything. How did you deal with this first leg of the journey? So you're saying if you do any of those options, you lose a day. Like if I if I talk to somebody, I lost a day. Or if you like explored a trade, you lost a day. Is that what you're the saying? The talking the talking I think is okay, but the ones where you're doing like an action where you like definitely I know doing the trade spent up spent a day and like doing hunting spent a day. So there are options where, yeah, it burns a day, an entire day to, to do the option. There are some other things you can do that don't cost anything. Like if you, cause like you can look at the map and like, that's a free action. Okay. But yeah, there, there are certain actions that just burn an entire day. Yeah. I knew uh, hunting burned a day talking. I did not know it burned a day and I did not think trading did, although none of the trades were ever good. So I just ignored them. I don't, I don't think the talking does. I think it's the, I think it's the trading that does even exploring the trade or actually. Yes. Yeah. Even exploring the trade. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, It's but... pretty rough because like, the <laughs> trades are terrible. I mean, yeah, the trades are really always. bad. <laughs> I've, I've hardly ever come across a trade that seemed fair or that like it was a good deal pretty much ever. I mean, if Sardo was here, he'd be like, but I'm losing on the deal because that's uh, that's what you typically would be doing in most of these. Yeah, I mean, if you had Sardo, though, you would not lose a day doing a trade. Maybe you get good trades, you know, I don't know. Or you end up trapped inside of like a crystal ball, uh, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the, the trades are, are pretty rough because a lot of times the proportion is way off. It'll be like, you know, you're giving up something valuable for something that isn't or a lot of something for a little bit of something else. So, I mean, the trades are just not, I, I've not had much success with them at all. Yeah. The trades are pretty much give up a ton of food. You have a certain amount of food and then every single day you eat up a certain amount of food based upon the people that you have. And then basically they'd be like, Hey, give us 300 pounds of food for like a box of bullets or one of the equipment parts you have two of, it was never viable, but I always explored because, hey, why not try? And so here, you know, you leave Independence, you get this really cool pick of the town. Like Each one of these places has this really cool image, obviously, you know, pixelated and whatnot. You get Yankee Doodle Dandy playing in the background here, you know, kids and wagons, a dude with a gun, you're leaving here. And I started with a steady pace with meager rations. And basically, steady pace is basically you're, you can go slow, medium, and fast. This is basically the slow pace. You're basically saying, I've got all the food in the world. I'm going to take my time. Meager rations is basically you're eating what you need to eat, but you're not going overboard. So that's kind of like the middle ground as opposed to like starving yourself or overeating. 
And I took the same approach. I, I should have mentioned I did both of those things. If you go full rations, you just run through food like it's nobody's business. So, yeah, I think meager is probably the way to go here. Yeah, and that's what I started with. And it makes sense. It's it, you know how the game works is every step is basically like a turn. It's kind of like turn-based and you can stop. And if you need more food, you can just go hunting for a day, get more food. It also shows you the weather conditions, your party's health. And so you can kind of monitor that per step because it does give you basically a day per step and you can kind of see where you're at. But yeah, that you know, I went with that and I was like, you know what? I, I'll see what happens. I can always change based on my party's health the conditions of the weather, et cetera. And so you get to the Kansas river and kind of look around again, a beautiful picture here. You get, you have the river with clouds. Uh, you, you get a nice image of a tree here and you get your, you know, your 16 bit music, really nice touch here. I talked to people at any opportunity I had, you can actually like talk to people over and over again, which is kind of interesting to give you a different perspective I didn't know that till later, but here I had talked to a person who told me that the ferry operator said not to ford any river deeper than two and a half feet. And so if it's two and a half feet or deeper, caulk it or take a ferry. And I had saved money specifically for ferries because I didn't want to risk crossing some of these rivers. That's why I saved uh, about a hundred bucks just for ferries in case I needed it or if there's a part or food an emergency fund, if you will, but mainly ferries. But here though, the ferry, though only $5, which is nothing compared to what I save, it's three days to use the ferry. And so I was like, I'm not doing that for three days. I mean, that's that's a long time to just kind of sit around. I'm fine with the money, but that's three days of eating, three days of weather. You have to be wary about approaching winter. And so I was like, I'm not doing the three days. I had no idea that it took three days because I don't think... I've ever, like in recent memory, had money to do a ferry. So I assumed that it was just like an automatic, like you get across for free. Like I mean, I mean you pay, but like for no danger and no time, and you just get across. So apparently, there's a big trade off with time here, for sure. And that's why why I saved money because I didn't want the risk of going across any of these rivers because I know the damage that can happen from it. I did not contemplate the timing though. And so it's like, I, I saved all the money basically for nothing. And I was like, you know what? It, it's two and a half feet. I mean, that's nothing you could, this river was 4.2 feet deep. So two and a half feet, they're saying you could basically ford the river, just like walk across here. You're caulking four feet. I mean, that's nothing. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. Wagon tipped over, lost 90 pounds of food from the beginning. So you had oh, no, massive it success over right at the beginning. Oh, yeah. You had massive no. success. I had a tipped wagon. I was like, man, I, I saved money for a ferry. Didn't use it. Cause at the time took a very conservative caulking approach and still lost. So 90 pounds of food. That's no joke. I mean, that's a whole day of hunting if you're getting max food, which is a hundred pounds. So that was pretty devastating to start off with. That's sort of the downfall of hunting is that you can shoot, you know, a buffalo, which is the largest thing you can get. And you can get upwards of close to a thousand pounds of food from it, but you can only carry a hundred back to the wagon. So it, it doesn't matter at all. Like if, if you get these big kills or not, you know, later on, I mean, I'm not going to go over every time I went hunting, but not, to, you know, not too long after this, I did a little hunting 
got a buffalo for 957 pounds, you still only get 100 back. So you're uh, really limited to what you can do there. I feel like that's also based on difficulty level. I feel like you get maybe more pounds of food on different difficulty levels. But yeah, unfortunately here, you're losing 90 pounds of food. Devastating. And then we're, you know, we're heading off here to the Big Blue River Crossing, which is the next territory here. And so good old Ruby here, you know, the farmer trying to reclaim her territory from the corrupt government contracts measles. We have fair health in the party. We move two more steps. She passes away. She dies from measles. What? (laughs) Very beginning? Very beginning. Just right off the bat here. There must have been something in the water. You know, this must have been like terrible water or something like that. I have no idea. There's this nothing is I can... devastating, man. This is this is devastating. Right at the start. Oh no. Yeah, I I don't I, I have no again, I was a fair health. I guess maybe I could have rested or something like that. I I changed to filling rations after this just because I was like, maybe that's why. But it was literally two steps, so two days from getting her measles into her death. I was like, I, I didn't feel that was a very meaningful opportunity to interact. But no, um, that's I, pretty devastating. I mean, ooh, the uh, I think there's a certain amount of random chance to these things because, uh, you know, if my party was at fair health, then I pretty much just kept pressing on. The, the times that I would rest were if they fell down to poor or. If it was even very poor, I try not to let it get that far. But if it was like poor, I would rest for like a day, see if it went back up to fair, and then I would keep going. So, I mean, I feel like there's just nothing you could do right there. I mean, I did at times increase rations as well, depending on that, and put it back down to meager later. There's sort of some management with that. You know, I did have... One, uh, I guess, cataclysm here, although it did not lead to a death, but somehow, perhaps Ghostface popped out of the wagon, but Sydney ended up with a broken leg uh, right <laughs> after we left the river, uh, the Kansas River, on our way to the Big Blue River. But apparently, she was able to press on. She is Sydney Prescott. She probably just taped it up and she's good to go. She is used to getting slashed quite a lot, but this broken leg, I mean, this was, I mean, I was worried here and I did rest, uh, briefly like about, I think one or two days, uh, just out of fear that this would lead to a death. Yeah. That's crazy that, uh, we both had cataclysms this immediate. And it's like you said about fair, like fair is just the second level. Like you have good and then fair. So it's like, it could get far worse and I'm used to that. So it's like, it's hard to get fair and then and see an emergency i guess maybe measles was more prominent i'm not sure i feel like ruby lied to me like maybe she must have been wounded in the battle for her farm and she carried that over and and pulled something over my head that's what it seems like but obviously you know sydney prescott's gonna prescott on uh, oh nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you know i think uh i think maybe in your case um she already had the measles prior to setting off and hit that's kind of like it's like yeah. in a zombie movie where the person's infected already but they don't say anything i think that's what happened here that, that's, that's what sort i think of my, that's what yeah. i think yeah unfortunately bad judgment here for ruby rest in peace eventually obviously you know you keep going on thankfully nothing else happened uh reaching the big blue river crossing here 
This is a three foot deep river. So actually a little bit lesser than the previous river at the Kansas river and 234 feet across and use the caulk again. I was kind of like, you know, we're going to, we're going to caulk the wagon here. And I was successful. Now we're heading to Fort Kearney. Uh, what, what was your uh, traverse of the big blue river crossing like? Well, I did also caulk the wagon. There is a strategy that you can, one of the options you can do is to wait and see if the river level changes. I've never had much success with that. I, I guess with this one, it's so low to start. You could probably get it down low enough to ford it if you were willing to wait. But I was not. I went right across. We had yet another success. No cataclysms this time. Now, Fort Kearney, though, is a 118-mile journey. So this is going to take us a little bit of time. Well, it takes more time for me because right setting off for Fort Kearney, wrong trail, lose four days. So pretty devastating here. Not a good start. Um, well, I hit the same uh, the same event, uh, except I, I only lost two days. So, uh, it w- but I was lost for some time. Double the pleasure, double the fun here. <laughs> yeah, we should have had like the Doubleman twins as one of our picks. Yeah, but yeah, then I uh, you know you arrived at Fort Kearney again. You get this nice image. It's just like cute little brick fort basically with an American flag hanging out. Uh, there seem to be some kind of like deputies there. There's one on horseback and it's, it's honestly like, you know, forts in this game, you can actually make purchases for supplies if you need it. So it's kind of nice. You know, these are, these are kind of the places that you want to rest and, and refortify yourself on. Obviously in the beginning, we don't really do that. And it's May 1st at this time. So we've, we've now passed a month and then uh, we head to chimney rock after this. So this is April 24th for me when we get to Fort Kearney. And yeah, I didn't really do anything there. The forts were pretty useless to me because I had no money. So I couldn't purchase anything. Um, I guess they're good for resting. I would occasionally rest in the forts if my health was low. And aside from that, yeah, I set right off to Chimney Rock as well. This is a pretty long stretch, though. This is 250 miles we're going here. And so on the way there, I did do some hunting. Uh, I took down, like I said, a couple buffalo, a deer. Uh, the deer typically give you a little bit less than the 100. Uh, they tend to be maybe like 70, 80 pounds, something like that. I had no events despite this long 250 miles uh, other than doing some hunting until I arrived at Chimney Rock. So did you have any other encounters on your way there? Of course, of course. Uh, A little bit about hunting here. It's basically like a 2D traverse where you're basically like roaming around the screen and you basically have like north, south, west, east, and then your directional pad. And you kind of have to like aim your gun and then hit the space bar to hit an animal. And like you have squirrels and bunnies, which aren't even worth using a bullet for. You just got to hit like two deer, one bear but the problem is like especially this run for whatever reason i I had so much trouble like trying to maneuver because in order to move up like you don't move up you hit enter to like walk forward and then you're trying to like move while you're doing it it's so awkward it's It's so awkward and and if you shoot because there are obstacles in the way because there are trees rocks bushes if you hit anything like the bullet will stop it doesn't go through them so you have to like make sure that 
you you have a line of sight and with the kind of janky controls it's really not easy to move around it's not even easy to aim because you have to use the number pad like to sort of go to like different directions like how you're how you're facing and and aiming so um it can be tricky you know it, it can be a it's not a gimme that you always get something every time that you try to hunt because sometimes the animals just don't pop up in the right part of the screen or they go too fast or you get stuck somewhere. So, you know, it's, it's not um, as easy as you might think. And it's like you said about the obstacles, it's like grass and stuff and you can't go through the grass. If there's a rock, you can't go through it. It's literally like a wall. And the problem is some of these setups are designed where it's like a whole wall of obstacles and the animals don't go, th- go through them either. And so they'll like appear and just run into an obstacle and kind of like a, a ping pong paddle, like bounce off and just leave the screen. And so you basically have to like position your, what I did was I positioned myself in the center where I had like the most range and you just kind of like pray that an animal is going to appear to hit. But it's very much, it's kind of like RNG, but I didn't find that I missed a whole lot when I had an opportunity. It was just, there's some maps because it's RNG in terms of where the obstacles are and whatnot. It's kind of RNG in terms of getting like a wide open space where you could have a bear appear. But I occasionally, you know, would be walking down, hunt down a bear and, and, and get it if I needed to. It was so hard to like position yourself and whatnot, especially on this difficulty with the lack of food, because you don't have as much money, so I didn't have as much food. And so hunting was pretty imperative. You can't miss, but you can't shoot squirrels or bunnies. You really need the bears, the bison, and deer. So that was kind of an aside, obviously. Uh, I did want to mention hunting just because it's it's going to keep propping up every every now and again. We're on our way to Chimney Rock here. As Matt said, this is a, this is a long journey, and my party felt it. Don't know how else to say it. Um, we had good health at this time. Again, we're using the the filling rations, so we're we're eating like kings. You know, we're going at a slow pace, having a good time, telling stories, playing games. Brought some cards, playing some poker. Unfortunately, Smith, you know, my right hand man, got cholera with good health. Surprisingly, he then broke his leg on the way to Chimney Rock. <laughs> and at this oh, moment, man. I was kind of just very scared. We had just lost Ruby and I said, I'm not taking any chances here. We got to rest to get back from fair to good and do what we have to do to make sure Smith's good to go. If he dies, I have no one to protect me. He's there as my gunman in case I run into outlaws or bandits or even amongst my own party. If someone is a turncoat, unfortunately, despite waiting two days, Smith passed away. Smith had died. And I it just, it's like, we're going at the slowest pace. I'm resting as much as I can. We have food and I lost a second member. And, and this is probably maybe 10 minutes of gameplay. Right. Boom, Smith <laughs> yeah. is gone. It does go very, very quick. And, and I have to say, you know, for those of us that maybe don't know exactly what these diseases are, cholera is a very quick acting disease. And it relies upon basically the person having severe diarrhea and becoming dehydrated. And apparently it can kill within a very short period of time. So I guess that in the case of Smith, I don't know, you said he was a criminal in his past lives here. Uh, You know, maybe this was the end of the road, you know, for him here, the the end of his escapades. Well, I had said that I had picked him up from his near dying state. 
with a broken leg, whatever, whatever he had, it, it seems that was never actually fixed. It seems like the initial aid rendered here to Smith was not sufficient and it carried on here. And so despite different successes with Smith, he is gone. And Father Duncan also contracted a fever. So we don't know what disease he has, but uh, Chimney Rock is no joke here. I've lost two members and I just have another one with a fever. So this is not a, a great start. Well, perhaps, you know, Father Duncan, I mean, contracted the fever while whilst tending to Smith during his, his illness, you know. I will say Father Duncan gave last rites to each of these people. You know, he's he's been, you know, very charismatic, you know, sending them to heaven in every way he could. And so he's been very useful here for the party's morale. But unfortunately, I have no Apparently, I needed a doctor here on this trip because <laughs> it's a, it's unfortunate. I mean, he may be saving souls, but he's not saving lives here. Perhaps a doctor with a vuh, 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 because that's who I have on my party here. And, and Dr. Vink is certainly a licensed medical professional. I'd like everyone to be aware of that. Yeah, he may hang out in creepy huts in the woods. He may collect body parts of individuals like hands and jars, as we've seen before. But he knows his way around a, you know, medical facility. You know, he knows what he's doing. So uh, Dr. Vink here coming in clutch. We haven't had any major illnesses yet. Just that broken leg from before. So when you reach Chimney Rock, basically you have this sort of person that you can. And again, the people are sort of random, I think. But I had an individual that I talked to and they told me that Chimney Rock by moonlight is awfully sublime. Many Indians come to our wagon with fish to exchange for clothing. We bought a number. They understand a swap and no swap. Seem most anxious to get shirts and socks. Now, this made me think that if I went into the trade, that there would be, like, Native Americans that I could trade with, because that's what the person was talking about. But it's not really... It doesn't necessarily correlate at all. And those things that they were talking about, like the fish and the socks and the shirts... Like it's not, it doesn't necessarily come out that way whenever you go into the trade screen. So I didn't really end up making any trades here either. This is one of our first checkpoints other than the fort where it's not a river. So we don't have to make a decision about how we're going to cross as we get to Chimney Rock. And so we can just actually set out to our next spot, which is Fort Laramie. And so we're going to be headed back toward another protected area. Did you have anything important other than like, did you talk to anybody here? Did you like get any information? Nothing worthwhile. Uh, Again, I talked to everyone I could here. I didn't get any information that I felt was worthwhile writing down. Usually they just kind of like say general things here. Uh, Chimney Rock, it's kind of a cool place. I mean, it's literally just like a big rock. It's kind of like a, a volcano Hilbert here, again, he's he's this old man trying to bring his wife's ashes to the West to journey here. He gets lost for three days on the way here. And so I'm thinking like, I mean, he's got dementia. He's 70 plus years old here. He just wanders and gets lost for three days. in trouble here, man. Like getting lost for three days right at the Chimney Rock too. We were just at a checkpoint. Is this like as soon as you left? Yeah, as soon as you as, as soon as I left, you know, he he just gets lost, and it's like, what what are you doing, Hilbert? And so I'm I'm just regretting my choices here in in making these selections, you know, heading to Fort Laramie as well. 
running into a gravestone by Voland. I, I feel like we ran into this before with the, uh, hey, hey, come out and play for the gravestone. Because I thought it was the creepiest thing I'd seen in the last episode. I guess that it's just always there. So I don't know who Voland is, but his tombstone is there. It seems like every playthrough, it comes up. So yeah, hey, 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 come out and play. It kind of reminds me of that Are You Afraid of the Dark episode with like, uh, it's I think it's called Old Man Corcoran, where the kids are playing at like hide and seek in the cemetery. It's basically what this puts me in mind of. So yeah, I have no clue who Voland is. So, but he's he's a staple of the trail, or at least his tombstone is. I mean, it sounds like a ghost haunting the the trail here. I mean, if, if it kind of does, or perhaps a ghost face haunting the trail, because I will say, on this stretch of journey here to Fort Laramie, Sydney Prescott, again, fleeing for her life, fighting for her life against this mysterious ghost face who apparently is on the trail. Maybe he's, maybe it's your uh, old man, actually, who got supposedly lost. Maybe he's actually Ghostface because Sidney Prescott here ends up with another broken leg. Another broken leg. I don't know if it's the same leg or the other leg, but it's it's another broken leg. I mean, it has to be the other leg. Like the leg was never fixed, right? So it has to be her well, other leg. Not use multiple fractures. I mean, you know, it's hard <laughs> to say. But it did like did your guy have any like suspicious activity? Did, did was he covered in blood when he came back? Like, is there any sort of because like I, I'm kind of suspicious about his getting quote lost for three days, right when this happened. I mean, that's something I never considered. Maybe Father Duncan needed to do like an exorcism on him. Like right. he could have just been like possessed in the middle right. of the night and just like wandered off in the yes. back, just like it's, you know, snap a leg. Yeah. But breaking a leg is kind of random for a killer. You know, usually you would slash a leg. Like to break a leg is kind of it's kind of odd. I wonder you know how he would go about doing that. I don't know if it, I, I, my thought is that it was in the process of her like fending off his attack, you know, maybe, maybe she fell, you know, something like that. And so anyway, so Sydney now with another broken leg, um, but she's still alive. And, you know, we did find a little food, some uh, wild fruit came up on this trip. Every now and then you'll run into a bush that has wild fruit and you'll sort of get a little bit of food from that. And then we pretty much just ended up at the fort uh, on May 22nd. When I got to the fort, uh, I talked to a Sioux brave uh, who said that the Pawnee are the mortal enemies of the Sioux. I would not hesitate to kill any Pawnee I meet. Uh, So this is pretty intense. (laughs) I have a a blood feud here. Uh, This really just put me in mind of the show Parks and Recreation. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, but Pawnee, Indiana is where this is set. And we're not in Indiana here, uh, but it definitely brought back vibes of that show um, just because of that name of that tribe. Anyway, uh, at the fort, again, I did nothing because I have no money. Did you make any purchases? No, no purchases here. It's a really cool fort here. It looks like it's made of sandstone. You got some teepees in the background here. There's some horses and a backdrop of mountains. Looks really, really homey. Uh, I enjoyed being here. There was a woman here that I talked to. She told us not to dig a water hole and to only drink river water 
or else we would get cholera, like her husband who died last week. So some great advice here. Unfortunately, I've already lost <laughs> a party member. Uh, Somebody's poisoning the water hole. <laughs> It's, that's that's a that's some advice, sage advice from Woody right there, you know, about the water hole. Yes, yes, very good, very good yeah. reference there. Yeah. I'll correct myself here. I did buy one oxen. I had an oxen that had passed, so I, I replaced it. Again, no idea like how many oxen you need. Um, I just three. It recommended three at least at the beginning. So that's three yoke of oxen. So that that's what I had. Three yoke of oxen is six oxen, I guess. So yeah, I, I just replaced the one. That that was the one thing that I had done. And then we uh, head to Independence Rock. And for me, this is around, you know, I reached Independence Rock June 23rd. So that's kind of my time frame here. And big mountain in the background here. There's a river, several wagons on the trail. Pretty somber music, actually. Kind of took me out of the mood a little bit here. And then, you know, from Independence Rock, just went straight on to South Pass. Well, you know, on my way to Independence Rock, uh, this is a 190 miles journey here. I started running into some problems with uh, the grass and water. I kept hitting, it would say, inadequate grass and little water. And so I did find a little fruit, but because of this lack of grass and water, our health ended up going down at one point to very poor. Like the entire party was down to very poor. I had to stop for five days here in order to get our health back up. And I moved our rations up to filling from meager. So we were at death's doorstep here. Um, I even did a little hunting. And so it took me a long time to get us back up to where we could get moving. Once we finally did, we went on to Independence Rock. And it told us that it would be 102 miles to South Pass, which is the next checkpoint. On my way to there, I basically just had another broken wagon wheel, which I could not fix because I already used up my wagon wheel from before. So I lost even more time waiting for this whole thing to resolve. And I was being hit with this um, inadequate grass and little water on the way towards South Pass. And then I finally did arrive with no deaths yet at this point, but this inadequate grass and little water is starting to freak me out a little bit. So what happens if you don't have a replacement part? It just like takes an X amount of time and then you keep moving. So I guess, (laughs) I guess somehow, I guess instead of like replacing it, you like probably repair the existing wheel, I guess would be my best thought on that. It was rough going in that patch and, you know, didn't lose anybody, but we got pretty close and I lost a lot of time, which is not good. It might come into play later. Well, I guess the one, the one benefit of losing two party members is you don't have to eat as much food. So, um, you know, yeah, food. it's actually a really good point. <laughs> it would make it a lot easier. Yeah. This is, this is the first time in a while I actually had to hunt. So I, I hunted for a, a couple hundred pounds of food and, the wild fruit drops, obviously, as well, getting you a lot of food. Pretty clutch to run into that. On this way, unfortunately, Father Duncan has now added typhoid in addition to his fever. So, I mean, I would attribute, although they are two separate symptoms, like two separate conditions, I would say that his fever was related to the typhoid. But, you know, so that's where Father Duncan's at here. 
again, he's got, we have good health in the party. I have no idea what to do with father Duncan here. You know, he's the Mr. Charisma trying to make everyone happy, make everyone feel good, but he's not doing all that well himself. Just to be clear, typhoid fever is usually spread through contaminated food or water. So maybe, again, we have some sort of, uh, let's say, intestinal issues going on here. We're going to have some rough times ahead uh, for Father Duncan. So I hope that this clears up pretty quickly. Yeah, so it's me, Hilbert, the old man with dementia, and Father Duncan here. So I'm, you know, I, I can't think of anyone that maybe like poisoned his food or something like that. Yeah, I hope Father Duncan's going to be all right. Well, I mean, according, you know, I mean, it's not his style, but according to my theory here about uh, the old man uh, being Ghostface, uh, this also is a little suspicious, just saying. So once we get to South Pass, uh, I talked to a Mormon traveler. He said, my family and I travel with 40 other families to the Valley of the Great Salt Lake to seek religious freedom. Back east, Mormons are persecuted. In Utah, we'll join together to build a new community. And so obviously, this is a historical fact of the fact that many Mormons traveled to Utah and established their communities out there. I ended up having to rest here again for three more days because of health problems. And so from there, I set off to the Green River Crossing, which is only about 57 miles out of South Pass. Very little happened to me in between there. And then I arrived at the Green River, where once again, you have to decide how to cross this river. So arriving at South Pass, again, you get this nice image. It's a road with like large wagon caravans in between two sets of mountains. So it really is just like a, it really is just like a pass between these mountains here. And talking with the local townsfolk, I got some sage advice from a young girl who said that her father is sick and that resting when he is better helps and that to go at a slower pace. So thanks, little girl. That's what I've been doing. It's not efficient. I didn't tell her that because <laughs> I, I didn't want her to feel like her father was going to pass. But I was like, listen, girl, you know, sometimes RNG decides the fate of your father. Wow. <laughs> now that's, that's a lesson right there. That That's, that's some good fathering right there. Uh, I, I think that um, with the whole problem here is that if you rest too much, you will run into winter before you can get to Oregon. And you know, I may or may not have run into some problems with that a bit later. Um, you know, the constant need to rest, it just, between that and hunting and losing days for that, it eats up your time way quicker. And then there are lots of random events where you lose days on the trail. And if you get to the point where there's snow down and it's winter, you can lose like a dozen days at a time. I mean, it's devastating. So trying to keep up this pace and manage the health, but the time, it's a juggling act the whole way to the end. And that's something we didn't really talk about all that much is you not only have like the distance you're traveling and the health of your party and your rate and your portions you're eating, but weather is a thing. Like it is a condition. So it'll be rainy or dry or warm. Now we left in April, so pretty good conditions. We didn't really run into a whole lot of X, Y, or Z, but now in the summer months, you're getting into the really hot weather that matters. And then obviously into fall, you start getting into the rain and then winter 
you start getting into the cold and the snow and stuff like that. That is a condition that thankfully leaving in April, don't really have to deal with a whole lot. You know, April showers bring May flowers here. That was my approach. But weather is a condition that you're always aware of. I never rested to like wait through any weather conditions because I didn't feel they were ever material enough. Did you ever worry about weather until winter? No, I, I felt like they didn't change enough to be useful, you know, so I, I would just go ahead. So like, you know, this green river, by the time I got there, it was just sort of a situation of like, I'm trying to, to make time. There was a guy there named Big Louie uh, that told me that $5 was all it would cost to ferry across the green river. But to him, he thought it was an astronomical amount of money. In fact, he says that those ferrymen will make $100 before breakfast. So uh, he doesn't seem super happy with having to pay this $5. But um, again, I had no money. So once again, I cocked the wagon. I floated across. Success. So No problem. So when you said you had no money, you actually had no money. Like you zero actually money. had $0. Okay. No, I spent all of the money in independence. All of it. So from the, at that point, then you got to get to Soda Springs, 143 miles. So before you actually make this journey to Green River Crossing, they actually give you a choice here. Like you can decide to go to the river or Fort Bridger. And basically at that point, you're like, why would I go to the fort versus the river? You can look at your map and you can kind of try to like plot out, hey, is this more towards where we're going or is this a longer journey or not? Honestly, I had no idea why I would do X, Y, or Z. I had no idea the benefits of Fort Bridger versus the Green River Crossing. It was kind of, The map really wasn't all that helpful. Like Fort Bridger's like path isn't even on the map, to be honest. And so it's kind of like, I had no idea. I also went to the Green River Crossing because I had money. Like I literally had saved the money just to be able to pay for the ferry to get across. And so that's why I went there. But I have no idea like the benefits of going to Fort Bridger versus the Green River Crossing. Did you have any idea like why you made that choice versus the fort? My thought and assumption, and I thought I saw something on the map, was that it looked like the Green River was just faster. It looked like it was closer toward the goal. And I assumed that the fort like was probably there as like a safe option. And I was trying to make time. So I was like, all right, we're going to the river. We're going to cross the river, keep moving, keep pushing. So I'm not really sure what would happen if you went to the fort. My hunch is that it probably takes longer at that point. But again, forts don't offer me much benefit because I have no money. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not going to buy anything at the fort. So I'm just going, I'm oh, going to cock man. that wagon. I'm going to float it. And guess what? Success. I'm so. actually, I'm actually upset here. I feel like you got RNG on your side here because like, I, you know, I, I had starved myself of supplies to save money here. So I had used the ferry. I had $74 remaining after that, this river. So remember in the beginning of the episode, we had discussed a little bit about the advice given from somebody at 2.5 feet, do not for the river, caulk the wagon. This is 20 feet deep, right? 400 feet wide. And you just caulked it. No problem. Whereas I had failed earlier. And it's like, well, how was that possible here? I mean, you know, I, I think if you caulk, uh, you have a pretty high chance of success, to be honest. Um, spoiler alert here, 
my wagon never flipped over in the entire journey. Uh, we just got across every river. So I don't know, maybe there's a little, uh, maybe there's a little magical touch here, you know, uh, because we do have Sabrina Spellman on our side. You know, maybe she's helping us get across that river. Maybe, you know, Dr. Vink has some sort of maniacal but effective uh, method to cross the river here. Maybe Rick O'Connell, you know, remember, he ends up on the right side of the river. Right, Benny? So, I mean, if there's anybody who knows how his way around a river, it's Rick O'Connell. So, I mean, I th- I'm going to say that probably his leadership uh, in these moments, you know, he made sure that even if we didn't have all the horses, we did end up on the right side of the river. Yeah, I mean, you literally have a witch. You know, you have a tinkerer <laughs> with with the supernatural and Dr. Vink. You have an absolute American stud hero in McConnell. And then obviously, you know, Sidney Prescott here, though human in nature, nevertheless demonstrates supernatural abilities and her ability to survive. So it, it seems like... Yeah, two broken legs and she's still pushing. <laughs> so, I mean... You know, her endurance is legendary. <laughs> she's got her she's got her paddle. She's yeah. like caulking the wagon. Who needs legs? You just yeah. row, row yeah. through. <laughs> so I, though I did take the ferry here, it took six days. So I'm, I'm taking a big hit here, taking the six days, the guaranteed journey. Um, Matt just caulked the wagon. Zero days, no problem, just got across. So yeah. like, I'm not being rewarded here for my uh, insistence on having the money for the ferries. The, apparently, the, the ferry was not the uh, the ideal decision here. So, you know, unfortunately, though, after I did cross the river, we started to hit some hard times here. But on our way to Soda Springs, I ended up putting our rations back to Muir because we were starting to run low on food. I had to do some hunting. Uh, we did find some wild fruit. And then Rick O'Connell, I don't know how this happened, got lost. And we spent five days trying to link back up with O'Connell here. I don't know what he was up to, if he like got on to some kind of like treasure hunt. Could have been anything. I mean, but whatever happened, five days wasted. Then, and this proves to be somewhat devastating later on, there was a fire in the wagon and it resulted in the loss of 38 bullets. Now, if you remember when we left independence, I only bought 700 pounds of food. The S the, uh, recommended was a thousand and keep in mind, I still have all five people. So I'm going through food at a much faster rate than you are at this point. And this is bad because I my whole strategy was I'm going to rely on hunting to make up the difference in food. So just hold on to that thought. But anyway, then again, I don't know if Emotep's involved here, but Rick ended up with a snake bite. Rick O'Connell with a snake bite here. And so I rested for one day. I figured he, that's all he needed. This is O'Connell we're talking about. And we got moving. We finally got to Soda Springs, where I did talk to a random person here. Uh, her name was Celinda Hines. Uh, shout out to Hines Ketchup, to Pittsburgh, to my hometown, to Hines Ward, uh, to all of the Hineses out there. But anyway, Celinda uh, Hines says, My, the Soda Springs are so pretty. 
seemed to spout at regular intervals, felt good to just rest and not be jostled in the wagon all day. When I get to Oregon, I'll have a soft feather bed and never sleep in a wagon again. Some lofty goals here. I'd be curious to see if she actually gets her feather bed. But regardless, we have reached another checkpoint, and it is a mere 57 miles to Fort Hall from this point. I mean, we're getting lost. It doesn't add up. There's something supernatural yeah. going on here. 100%. You know, I don't know if, if maybe he had a falling out with Vink and he ended up getting hexed or something or what, what occurred, or Sabrina perhaps. But the the fact that O'Connell, I, I feel like he had something important that he was doing. The snake bites got to be related. I, I feel like there's some sort of like mythology involved there. You know, something with Emotep or Egypt relating to snakes, perhaps. I'm not really sure. But that baffled me, that entire succession of events. The one thing that did not baffle me is that O'Connell apparently is still a stud and he's still ready to go. Because despite being lost for five days and then bitten by a snake, he's still up. We're, we're still moving. Yeah, with the snake bite getting lost, I mean, I think Dr. Vink, man. Like, I'm thinking he's, it's getting me like Phantom Cab vibes here. I got to think he's up to something. Definitely doesn't add up at all. No, I, I if, you know, if I'm going to be suspicious of anyone in the party, it's going to be Dr. Vink. At the same time, I look at the fire that happened, losing bullets. I mean, how is that even possible, first of all? And how is that your only, like, you lose no food, you lose no person, you lose nope, bullets? Just the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> no clothing? Nope, no clothing, just the bullets. Just the metal bullets? I've not lost any clothing so far, and... And you, you know, have ten sets. You have you have two sets have per ten person. Sets. You have twice as much as I do. Although I guess uh, with the, with the dying members of my party, it's more proportionate now. But um, you have plenty of clothing, so it's, it's it's interesting. Like that's that was the casualty of the fire. Was was very boring. very strange. So on our way to Soda Springs for my journey. This is July twenty second for me. So we're we're getting into the the heat, if you will. And it's me, Father Duncan, and Hilbert here carrying the weight. Father Duncan, in addition to his other maladies, has now gotten exhaustion and measles. Oh, man. So this is his, so he, has, <laughs> he has four conditions right now. Oh, just pouring it on. Oh, man. And so, yeah, it's like here, I, I you know, Soda Springs is really cool. Uh, it's, it's a nice big lake. Um, a lot of people sitting around the water, you know, putting their feet in, kind of relaxing. And I felt this was the opportunity to really just, you know, rest. You know, the ox were even resting. I, I let them get some rest. Um, I really wanted to make sure everyone was 100% before leaving here. And especially for Father Duncan, you know, he, he was really feeling it, but he was still, you know, talking to people, converting people at Soda Springs, saving souls, doing what he needed to do. But he was not feeling it. But maybe the Soda Springs could cure him here. And so basically I'd rested several days to make sure I had good health. I was very, very concerned about Father Duncan. And so basically I unfortunately came down to 43 pounds of food, which is not a lot of food for your party, And but it's what had to be done. And so heading out of Soda Springs, again, we're heading to Fort Hall, which is about a week away in terms of distance here. And guess what happens? Hilbert the dementia man gets lost for five days. He's lost oh. again. Three of those days, we had no food. So we had zero food. 
as soon as we stepped out, he got lost. So I couldn't even hunt very, just absolutely devastating. Then I was like, okay, we're out of food. So I'm going to go hunting. And I guess this is probably my fault. We had no bullets for hunting. And so I wasted a day without bullets and, uh, you know, very devastating that I did not consider that, especially, you know, I've been at forts before I have money. I could buy bullets. I just didn't track it. So I wasted one day here. And again, we had no food. Thankfully, Fort Hall was pretty close. It wasn't that big of a journey. We'd already lost so much just like waiting around. And then a thief stole two oxen on the way. And we're at poor health. So our party now, whereas before we lost members with like good health, here we're actually in a catastrophe. But thankfully, we're entering Fort Hall where I'll be able to resupply. So how how was your journey here from Soda Springs to Fort Hall? Well, you know, this was a pretty short stretch. Um, We kept running into inadequate grass and bad water, uh, which was kind of concerning. I did a little bit more hunting. The snake that, you know, bit O'Connell apparently was still lurking around somewhere in our wagon because Dr. Vink now comes down with a snake bite. And that was really, you know, the main event. Uh, Once we reached the fort, um, I'll say this was now August 16th by the time I got to the fort. So time's getting short here, and I'm starting to get a little worried about that. I, again, do nothing at the fort. I rested for one day, and then I headed out to the Snake River Crossing, which is 182 miles away. At this point, again, I'm kind of similar to you, where I do not have much in the way of like food stocks. I'm sort of having to stop relatively often to, to hunt to make sure that I can fill up and have some food. Sabrina Spellman... Uh, somehow, despite, you know, her magic skills, she ended up falling ill with typhoid fever and I was forced to rest, uh, to try to heal, get our health back up. And then we ran into possibly one of the worst events that I experienced, an impassable trail. We lost 10 days at the impassable trail. I was already August 16th. We lost 10 days. As if that wasn't bad enough. We're still not at Snake River. Dr. Vink now has contracted typhoid fever. So, you know, Dr. Vink with the snake bite and with typhoid fever at the same time. Then we lost three more days due to a wrong trail. So I am just losing time. We're like into September now. We're still not there. The winter is fast approaching. By the time I did get to the Snake River, I talked to an overlander who said, down there between those steep lava gorges, twisting and writhing, is the Snake River. So much water and so hard to get to. We've got many miles of desert before Oregon. Be sure to fill your water kegs at the crossing. I am not happy to hear about these miles of desert that we're going to encounter. I'm starting to wonder if we can pull this off or not at this point. But my whole party is still alive. Um, We're still kicking. We'll see how it goes. We do have several injured members between snake bites, typhoid, all sorts of things going on here. I mean, what are these garden snakes? Like, how do you have two snake bites and no deaths, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, no venom, I guess. Again, I'm as, I'm gonna chalk this one up to our magic user Sabrina, or perhaps even Doctor Vink. Maybe he's able to staunch his own symptoms here of the snake bite with some of his botanical knowledge that he has. But regardless, things are you know things are getting dicey here. And you know, one other thing I should mention is that there is actually an option here at the crossing at the Snake River crossing to hire. A Native American to help you cross the river. Strangely enough, he didn't want money. He wanted instead clothing. So this was a trade that I actually could make. And this river is going to be 1,001 feet across. This is huge. This is a massive, massive river. And I have to decide, do I give up some clothing for this guide? Or do I forge my way across as I have countless times before before we get that gripping decision how did you fare in reaching the Snake River well listen we all know you you just cocked the wagon across this river (laughs) why why bother (laughs) so Fort Hall here for me was super clutch Uh, it's a beautiful fort with sandstone and we're again we're in poor health we have no food here and so thankfully I had some money here to kind of do things with. Again, I was out of bullets, so I was able to buy supplies and I bought some bullets here and, but that was, you know, I had $9 left over and I decided to like save that for a ferry. And then once I step out, I'll go hunting for the actual food as opposed to buying it. So I rested five days here with the food that I had purchased to get from poor health only to fair health. And then we head over to the Snake River Crossing. Again, lots of hunting here to make up for that difference. I got my bullets, so we're good to go. This is September 15th for me, and we got up to good health while traveling. Hilbert, uh, the 70-year-old man, unfortunately contracted measles during this trip to the Snake River Crossing. And then soon thereafter, he passed as well. No! Oh, no. So I, I will say Father Duncan, you know, read him his last rites. You know, we burned a pyre in his honor. We saved his ashes. And so now I have his ashes and his wife's ashes as I journey west to distribute them the way that he would have wanted. Absolutely terrible journey for me here. Uh, Father Duncan broke an arm in addition to his other four. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> in Was it related to, to the last rites? <laughs> did, did he did he have did he like roll did he like roll zero like a critical failure when he was when he was giving the last rites and he like carrying the broke his arm the in the process carrying the body to the pyre his arm just you know, fell off <laughs> the weight was too much for him poor I mean I mean at this point how is Father Duncan alive I mean th- these are good questions here he's got five conditions and you know you said ten days for an impassable trail I got six here equally Mm. as devastating. But again, like, you know, at this point, food's not really an issue anymore because it's just two people. And, but yeah, six days we're worried about winter coming. Our health's up to good now. (laughs) It's just me and father Duncan, you know, he wants to establish his church and I'm, you know, trying to keep my rep up as a good uh, Sherpa. Uh, That might be hard to do. Then we reach snake river crossing as well. So now I have to make this decision do I give this guy three sets of clothing for help or, or do I do it myself? Well, I actually did take the deal. 
and it tells us that the Shoshone guide will help you float your wagon across, but you do still have to float it across. You don't like automatically, it doesn't just like say, okay, you get across. I don't know if it's possible to still fail with the guide or not, um, but I did get across safely. I'm going to say the guide had something to do with it. The next location is the Fort of Fort Boise, 113 miles away. But again, we're getting late into the year. We are into September already. So did you use this guide for help or did you take matters into your own hands? So for context here, it's October 13th for me. And yeah, you know, the, the guide approaches me, wants two sets of clothing. I had plenty of clothes left over, needless to say here, for reasons that um, I never disclosed to to said guide. But uh, we had plenty of clothing, so obviously you do that. And yeah, it's like paying for a ferry. There's no, you know, you can't sink when you pay the guide, just like, you, you know, with the ferry and whatnot. So it worked. Again, a, a six-foot deep river. Though a thousand foot across, you know, six feet isn't all that much considering, you know, you had caulked a a 20 foot river, no problem, (laughs) but yeah, you know, better safe than sorry. I don't really need the clothes here. And then I I will say that before crossing, I ran into big Louie. Um, He had said that, see that wild river over there. That's the snake. Many a craft's been swamped in her foaming rapids. Her waters travel all the way to Oregon. We'll be crossing her soon. And then again, after Fort Boise take care at the crossing. So Big Louie's apparently on a similar journey here. But yeah, you know, made our way across and we're on our way to Fort Boise. And for me, this is around early November. Okay, so, you know, I thought I ran into trouble with the winter. I'm going to guess that you uh, also run into some trouble here because that's you're getting late in the year. On the way to Fort Boise, I had to hunt the whole way, so I'm losing more time there. It tells us that there's a rough trail, that we have inadequate grass and bad water. I end up having to rest for a day to get the health back up. We do find some wild fruit, and we did make it to Fort Boise with very little other events. I talked to somebody there called Aunt Rebecca, which I thought was interesting. She's not my aunt. I don't know whose aunt she is, but Aunt Rebecca... And she tells you that prices are higher at every fort along the trail, which at this point in time, you're basically like at the end, like you're pretty close. And so it's like, thanks for the advice now that I'm at basically the last fort. So thanks a lot, Aunt Rebecca, for that. I'm thinking Aunt Becky from Full House. That, that oh, yeah. really came to my mind here. Yeah, Fort Boise, a, it's a nice place. Uh, it basically is a... You know, it shows us this big wooden fence surrounding the fort, beautiful family. You have a young kid and a baby and an oxen and, and near a mountainside. So it seems like we're getting to the end here. And I had arrived November 5th. So we are approaching winter. We're at poor health. I decided to rest two days here to get it at least to fair before moving on to the Blue Mountains. Going to the Blue Mountains, winter has come to an extent, right? I will say that Father Duncan here is having some trouble. He broke a leg day one on the, on this journey and then a broken arm. So father, <laughs> so father Duncan here, I mean, I, I mean, outside of a snake bite, he probably has every condition you could possibly have. He's still trooping on. He's still no dysentery, no dysentery. Yeah, yeah. No dysentery, no snake bite. So he's still, he's still going with the grace of God here. But you yeah, know, it's th- interesting, you know, dysentery is the thing that everyone always references, the Oregon Trail, you know, you have dysentery. 
I don't think any of us have yet had a character with dysentery. Uh, now I'll see if that stays true uh, as we get to the end here, but uh, kind of funny because we've had lots of other maladies occur, but uh, and other catastrophes, but uh, no dysentery yet. Well, in the edutainment episode, I talked a little bit about the uh, Oregon Trail card game and like snake bite and dysentery were like the insta kills. So you know you've had two snake bites, not instant kills. I'm curious where that came from, where they were like, oh yeah, instant kill, but yeah, no dysentery yet. Obviously that, that disease would be terrible, but uh, it's probably not pretty good um, having multiple diseases and a broken arm and leg uh, for father Duncan, but you know, he's... <laughs> no, this is, this is rough. I mean, I don't know how this man is still standing <laughs> literally. Yeah. I had no idea. And I was worried honestly. And so I actually changed up what I was doing. I went to a strenuous pace because we had our first blizzard and lost the day. And I was like, I'm not dealing with winter. I'm not dealing with the cold. We got to get there as quickly as possible. And so I was like, you know what? Apparently doing steady pace doesn't matter all that much. So let's just go as fast as we can. So I went strenuous pace all the way into the blue mountains and we arrived there December 6th. So right now, um, after I leave Fort Boise, we do hit our first blizzard as well. And, and this was only October 11th, but we had a severe blizzard and we lost one day because of that. Uh, we ended up with also little water and adequate grass. There were heavy fogs that were starting to happen. We lost one day because of the fog. Then, as if enough had not happened here, and I guess my theory about your old man uh, being Ghostface I mean, typically there are two ghost faces, so maybe he was, but there must be another out here on the trail because Sidney Prescott, for the third time in our journey, has a broken leg. <laughs> the third, third time. So you're right about the like multiple fractures. It's got to be multiple fractures. It's got to be. Well, it's like in Scream where it's like the, the obvious villain has been killed and you're like, well, who could it be? So like Hilbert, yeah. he's dead now, right? He's dead. Correct. So he can't possibly be the one breaking Sydney's leg over and over again. So you got <laughs> you got to look at your party and reevaluate your decisions here about who it could be. Yeah. So I mean, Sydney, you know, having a rough time here. Uh, we did reach the Blue Mountains, and by the time I got there, it was November first, and the next checkpoint is 125 miles away. So I'm starting to get a little nervous. You know, I didn't realize how far back you were time-wise because I'm about a month ahead of you, but I'm still getting hit with blizzards and, and snows and fogs, and I'm just getting real nervous here. Yeah, it's interesting that you're, you know, you're getting hit with the winter that early. Maybe there's no benefit to it. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it seems kind of odd. I don't know if it's linked to location as opposed to time, but it seems like, you know, I guess you could technically have winter storms in November and whatnot, but obviously I should be hit harder with the winter stuff in retrospect, um, looking at this playthrough, but it, it really doesn't play a, a role all that much. And, you know, arriving to the blue mountains here, it's just a gorgeous place, a beautiful mountain view here with trees. And then you have a, a decision here. And so this is kind of the, the final decision about where you want to go. Yes, yeah, so you can go with the Dallies, which is basically uh, the river as equivalent, or go to Fort Walla Walla. And again, it's kind of like we said before, where it seems like the fort's probably a little bit further, but safer. 
and then you can take the river with the dallies to be a little bit quicker. And given, you know, Father Duncan's condition to me, this was kind of a no brainer to me that I had to do it quick. So I went with the dallies and I don't have much left. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of at the, the end of my ropes here. I had a thief take a lot of my bullets. I'm running low on food. It's basically, I can't just continue at this long pace. And so, yeah, before I actually headed to the river, I had decided to rest to get myself fair health to push forward. This is December 12th. And then during this process on the way to Dallas, Father Duncan got typhoid again. And so, oh, typhoid. But, Man. but we're almost there. I mean, we're almost there. We just have this last crossing. So did you make a the similar choice or did you go to uh, the fort? No, I made the same choice. You've, you've got to keep pushing here. I'm starting to get really nervous that we're not going to make it because of the lateness of the year and the winter. Um, on the way there, uh, I had to repair the wagon tongue. And then we lost the trail for two days. There was a blizzard. We lost a day for that. And then we lost nine days for getting lost on the trail. So I lost a total of like 12 days within rapid succession of each other. It was devastating. That's brutal. At that point, finally, somebody got dysentery. You care to guess who it was? Sydney? No. (laughs) It was Dr. Vink. Dr. Vink came down with dysentery. I realized I needed some more food. We were very close to the end, but we were out of food. So I was like, all right, time to hunt. Guess what? Remember those 38 bullets that I lost in the fire? Well, I go into the hunt screen. I see an animal. I'm ready. No bullets. I didn't even realize it. I was out of bullets. So I am out of food. I am out of bullets. We are just outside of the last destination here. But I'm hoping and praying that we can make it in with nobody starving to death. As I'm looking at our health, it starts deteriorating rapidly because we have no food. So we are down to very poor health at this point as a party. And we arrive at the Dallies in very poor health. And of course, I have no money. So I'm going to be doing the little mini game to try to make it down the river. And we'll have to come back to that. But did you make it to the final checkpoint? Yeah, so I, I arrived there December 30th, right in the, the dead of winter here. Uh, there's a mountain man there that told me that these last 100 miles to the Willamette Valley are the roughest, either rafting down the swift and turbulent Columbia River or driving your wagon over the steep Cascade Mountains. He says to hire a Native American guide if you take the river. So I will say that I had $9 at this time, and I did not feel that that would be enough to pay the toll. And again, you get a choice. It's like if you choose and you don't have the money, I was like, I had no idea what would happen. And I remembered this from previous games where you're like floating in like a little mini game on the river. So I was like, I got this no problem. I'm going to take the Columbia River. I did the same thing. Uh, I had no choice. I had no money. So the guide was not going to happen. And I was sort of dreading this because I was like, oh man, this mini game. Basically, you're going down the river you have your wagon and you have to move it around rocks. These rocks will pop up in the river and you have to use the direction keys to move your wagon to avoid the rocks as you're going down the river. And pretty much everything is on the line. If you wreck here, I mean, everybody can die. I mean, it, it can be a game over type of situation. 
So this is as serious as it gets. This is crunch time. Here we go. So heading down the river here, you know, Matt basically said you're going side to side. It's not the way you would want it to be. It's like you have like a, a massive delay between your clicks of your keyboard. And so it's like, it's not really quick reflexes. You kind of have to like understand this massive delay going down the river. And I didn't contemplate this. I really didn't. And unfortunately I made a mistake. I messed up and I hit a rock. And so I lost food. I lost oxen and I lost my axles on my wagon. Well, you know, I wish I could say I did better. Our last edutainment episode, I had the same thing happen where I hit a rock on this final trip. And I did yet again, by some miracle, nobody died. Now, keep in mind, we were at very poor health going into this, but I lost basically all of like pretty much what I still had as far as supplies. So it was basically just me. Somehow the oxen are still alive and then the people and and my, my party, but like pretty much all of our stuff is gone at this point. Ah, so you were very fortunate. I wasn't done, Matt. Oh no. Father, father Duncan drowned. Oh yes. Yes. Oh man, what a valiant. And that's, he had eight different illnesses. I mean, this was, it's a sad end. It was devastating for me. I mean, I felt like God was protecting him this whole journey from all of these maladies. And then for me, my mistake to cost him his life. I just, I was really emotionally torn. I even wanted to like redo the playthrough because I felt so bad for Father Duncan here. But my mistake caused him to drown. At least you can carry on his legacy as, as you reach Oregon and reap the, the riches of Oregon here. Did you make a third <laughs> error? Did, did, you, did you hit another rock or did you make it to the end? No, I did. I mean, I, I did make it to the end. I made it January 1st, 1849. The game said, congratulations. What? It's like, you're like <laughs> congratulating me. It's like, I'm, I'm like super emotional. I'm despondent here. I got a score of 1,368, which is just absolutely, I imagine, a very brutal score. The church will never get formed. Uh, Father Duncan was very young. And I had some questions about my own character because a lot of my hubris here was about my legend, about my status as a Sherpa. And obviously, given the deaths of everybody, how could I proclaim to be a true Sherpa of the Oregon Trail? But the real question is, Matt, at the end of this journey, who knows that I'm not a legendary Sherpa? (laughs) There are no souls left to tell the tale. Father Duncan was the last one. And I wonder, am I responsible for his death intentionally? Did I kill Father Duncan? <laughs> These are the questions that I was asking because Father Duncan was the last soul who could tell the story. And so that got really dark for me where I was like, this is like an Edgar Allan Poe situation. It it's like, uh, it it's like the, you know, the telltale heart here or something like that. I mean, it's very, I mean, anything could have happened here, anything. So no one knows the tale. No one knows what happened. No one knows that <laughs> I even went on this journey. Um, and who knows? This might not be my last traverse as a legendary Sherpa. Well, what I will tell you is that after hitting that first rock, I did manage to complete the rest of the river. So in very poor health, at the beginning of December, 
I don't have the exact date. It was, I think it was around maybe December 5th. We did reach our destination with all of the members of the party intact in very poor health uh, and three oxen as well with us. And so we did, uh, we did survive to start our lives in Oregon here. I like to imagine that all of the characters went off and sort of from this point sort of went into the fields that they're known for. So perhaps, you know, Dr. Vink sets up this real shady curiosity type shop in town and he has all these weird sort of bits and pieces of different creatures or maybe even human hands as we see in the Phantom Cab. And he's basically got a weird little hut there that attracts people in to look at the curiosities probably makes like Faustian like devil's bargains with them when they come in, trying to entrap them as he often will. Brina Spellman here possibly is is the foil to Dr. Vink, you know, maybe needing to reverse uh, and counter his more dark magic that he sort of brings with him here into Oregon. It makes me wonder, you know, why did I think it was a good idea to bring Dr. Vink to Oregon? You know, I've essentially poisoned the land uh, with Dr. Vink's maniacal plans that he may be unfolding here. Um, But thankfully, we've got two action heroes, uh, Sidney Prescott and Rick O'Connell, to also try to kind of keep things in line. Uh, If Dr. Vink ever, like, I don't know, reads from the Necronomicon or something like that, and we end up with all sorts of horrors visited upon the the, the town, then, you know, Rick O'Connell and Sidney Prescott will be ready to sort of send him back to the abyss that they came from. So overall, I may have caused a little drama for uh, the settlers in Oregon here, but hey, it'll make a good movie. Yeah, poor Sydney, though, is going to have a hard time dodging Ghostface with three broken legs. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, she's done it so far. She'll keep doing it. So yeah, it seems like you have a reasonably happy ending outside of maybe the citizens of the West here in Oregon. <laughs> and yeah. um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm the lone survivor here just pretending this never happened, I guess. Um, <laughs> maybe I feel remorse and, and tell the world, you know, we'll have to see on the next episode of the Oregon Trail, if I decide to Sherpa again, but man, we had very vastly different results. So I'm trying to like reconcile it about, you know, maybe what I could have done differently versus what you did. The big decision was probably, I mean, the only thing I could think of was like the sets of clothing in the beginning, you had the two sets. Maybe I do that instead of getting the tools. I'm not really sure you know, what I could have done differently. I literally only did this one run. I didn't rewind back and, and do it again to see if it was just like pure RNG or if there was something I could have done differently. I didn't look up any guides to see if there's certain strategies to use. So I'm curious, you know, is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, everybody survived. It seems like you had a kind of a perfect right. ending. Oh, well, I mean, you know, but in very poor health, you know, having lost all of our supplies, I'm always really nervous with that river at the end because I've had games where you just die because like you just don't anticipate it correctly. I think I got lucky, to be honest, because there were a lot, like, when I hit that first rock, somebody could have drowned, and they didn't. My wagon never flipped when I caught the rivers, and, you know, I did run out of food at the end, but thankfully I was close enough to the end that I was able to sort of limp into this last little leg of things here. But overall, I think there's a certain randomness to it. 
I mean, you had a character die of measles right out of the gate. I mean, what are you supposed to do about that? I mean, there, there's no remedy to that whatsoever. So I'm honestly amazed. Uh, I thought for sure that somebody would drop before we made it to this river uh, when we ran out of those bullets. That was just, I was blindsided by that. I thought that I was still good to go. And then I'm just standing there and I can't shoot. No bullets. Yeah, so. it's, cra- it's crazy. We both ran out of bullets. Like that's something pretty easy to track, and yet we both yeah, ran right. out of it. So I, I just, yeah, I assumed because you had what five boxes to start. Like that's that's a substantial I amount. I guess, but the, I lost thirty eight. Yeah, the fire so. messed with you. It did. The fire was pretty devastating. Actually, this was an epic adventure. We know that you have left no souls alive to tell the tale, whether intentional or not. So. I'm sure you could probably put together another team and people would, you know, they, they wouldn't uh, think twice about it because you can just tell them about your success in your first run. If you remember back to that, I did lose one person in the first run, which oddly enough was Paul. Uh, so uh, I did lose somebody in that first run. Uh, so this is my first uh, run where I, I brought everyone to the end uh, that we've done. Again, in very poor health. So uh, if we ever hitch up the wagons again, I don't think that these four characters uh, are going to want to to journey back. I mean, they're in Oregon now, so I'm going to have to recruit some more celebrities. Well, given your successes, I'm sure there's a line set up of celebrities wanting a piece of the action here. And yeah, I mean, dead men tell no tales. So... (laughs) Well, this this episode took a real dark turn. I mean, I had no idea that, that it was going to go in this direction, you know. But ultimately, we're up for another run. I am, you know, uh, maybe someday, in the, you know, we'll, we'll drop another run here and, and see how it goes. I'm sort of satisfied. I mean, the main thing is always to try to get everybody there. But I would like to do a playthrough where I'm more intact as we reach the end. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm always down for another run. This type of game is perfect. It's, it's just a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun documenting it and talking about it. In terms of the darkness of it, I, I you know, I, I do leave that up to the listeners to kind of ascribe whatever lore you want. You know, I haven't established one thing or the other. You know, that was just some thoughts in my mind about maybe my character's motivations and whatnot and kind of worked out in a, a, a very twisted way. You know, my character is either maniacal or my character is like really messed up in the head and wondering why he was responsible for the the loss of innocent life. So we'll see maybe on the next episode, if he comes back and yeah, you know, if there's any other games you could think of that would be a a similar type playthrough, obviously we're all ears because we love doing this. And one thing that we did find out is that there are Oregon trail choose your own adventure books so we haven't really looked at them yet, but uh, that's a possibility uh, that we might look into those some more and that you could have some more Oregon Trail time. So uh, however it happens, whether it's another playthrough, a book, or another game that perhaps is similar in some way or that we could do in a similar type of run, we'll have some more content, some more gaming content. And for now, we're just going to have to live with our respective paths here and look to the future. Follow us on Patreon and Instagram at the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Our Patreon offers access to special posts, 
a Discord server, and bi-weekly exclusive episodes. Spend time with us there until our next new episode when we return to the 1990s.